Hey everybody, welcome to Bad Sloth. I have a very fun special episode all about Scientology and I have the preeminent scholar on the nefarious actions of Scientology. I don't know if that's true, but I like saying preeminent <laughs> scholar. Uh, Mark Bunker, hello. Hello. And uh, the preeminent scholar in tomfoolery, Jake Weissman. Hi. Hi, how you doing? Great. Jake and I played poker many, many, many years ago. I lost. And <laughs> with a bunch of people, but we remained Facebook friends. Mm-hmm. Jake is actually the one who said I should contact Mark Bunker for this episode, and you were very nice enough to actually respond to my email, even though Jake and I felt maybe uh, whenever you get contacted, you think that Scientologists are trying to get you. You know, I don't think that. There are occasions when, when I'm concerned, but for the most part, no. Uh, the, the only time I'm concerned is uh, like I, I've been working on this documentary about Scientology, which I call Knowledge Report, and I'll get offers from people who want to work on the film. And they could very well be legitimate, but they could also be Scientologists who want to see the movie before it's uh, finished. Um, right. So that I that or I'm maybe disturb production in some way or right, you know, report back. You know, the, the, when you have an organization, that's when Scientology tries to infiltrate. So I'm a little more concerned that way. How do you decide to work with someone? Like, if they show you a link to the fact that they're like, do they have to have a backstory or something? Well, like that, that helps. So far, I've been working with people that. I knew before this and trust. Sure. So I'm not worried about that. But then I found out the other thing that Scientology does is they, um, and I found out the, from people who have worked as spies for Scientology's oh. Office of Special Affairs, which we'll get into, I'm sure. OSA, right? Right. Yes. So they'll, they'll want to find out everything they can about a critic of Scientology. But rather than coming to you and befriending you now, what they'll do is they'll find your friends and they'll sidle up to them and become friends with them. And then they'll start asking, hey, well, who's this other guy, this Mark guy? What, what's he doing? And, and your, your friend may go, oh, he's working on this movie. You won't believe the stuff that he's doing or whatever problems he's having in his life. They'll be gossiping. And that's the way Scientology will get information. Even though it's, it's horrible, it's, it's smart. It seems like they know how to you know, screw around with people. Oh, that's one thing that they know well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably the only thing they know well. That's like the only thing. Normally, these episodes, you know, I go off of the Wikipedia page and I notice there's a Scientology Wikipedia page and a Church of Scientology Wikipedia page. But I printed out the regular Scientology page and marked up some notes. But I thought a fun way, well, I keep saying the word fun. It's, it's probably not the best word for it. Well, there is a but, lot of fun to this. Yeah. For me, it's fascinating. And I don't know, I was actually born on the same day as the Jonestown Massacre, a fun fact. And so since then, I've always kind of been fascinated with, you know, cults and then Scientology. I think I I find it interesting that you think that's a fun fact. (laughs) It's a very fun fact. That's my only fun fact about me and my life. It's very sad. But the Scientology page has a lot of intriguing interesting way too much to talk about so I, I marked it up a little bit but i thought a good way to start was for me to briefly read this quick summary and then start from there sounds good to me yeah so scientology is a body of beliefs and related practices created by l ron hubbard starting in 1952 as a successor to his earlier self-help system dianetics 
Hubbard characterized Scientology as a religion and in 1953 incorporated the Church of Scientology in Camden, New Jersey. That's basically the little summary. So short and sweet. Well, that's all we need to say about it. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks for having me in. Exactly. I think all of that is essentially true. Like that's like all like pretty much that no, is, I don't think they screwed up anything in the first yeah. paragraph yeah, on yeah. <laughs> that's well that's the thing. That's the fact of it. Because all that is fact. That's L. Ron Hubbard started it. He said it's a religion. You are right. What I have yep. found really interesting just about that part, just about um, Dianetics and then Scientology, it's really funny to me because Dianetics is is so boring, but also it's like so hard. It's like gobbledygook and hard to read. But what's so funny is they like to call it like part one. They like to call it part one, but it's as, almost as if Jesus had done this pre-Bible thing and they're like, yeah, but he wasn't entirely the son of God yet. You know, he wasn't entirely that. So don't necessarily listen to that. This is right. And it's like already it's like, wait, you're already wrong because everything he Elron says is supposed to be gospel to the T. And it's like, yeah, but he already disagrees with himself. So it's like it's a little it's already bizarre right off the bat, I think. Right. It's known now as book one, I believe. But uh, I mean, it, that wasn't the case uh, when he published it in 1950. It was the extent of Hubbard's research into the mind and and. His research, by the way, was reading other people's work and, and cobbling it together and creating up spinning yarns on his own to, to create this modern science of mental health, what he calls Dianetics. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's uh, you know, it's nonsense. It's, co- it's completely ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's, also, it's also so obviously a bunch of other people's things. Like, he just basically plagiarized it and then tried to make it his own by changing it a little bit. And, and this is one of the most interesting things about it. I, even though it's it's nonsense, there are still people who get something from it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are still people who feel they get benefits from the auditing, and I can understand some of that. What worries me are are the traps that the the Church of Scientology has built into their entire system, where you may find something that's true that sucks you in. And might give you an answer to this, that, or the other thing. But then you are drawn deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And it's this incredible brainwashing factory that Hubbard set up that that is remarkable to behold. And it is something that you can get obsessive over when you start to look into this. It's it's Because uh, the language that they create for themselves, which is also like a form of brainwashing, I read like um, Marty Rathbun, who used to be like the second command in Church mm-hmm. Scientology. He has like, He's like the main heretic or heretic or whatever you want to call I don't even know how to pronounce that word. But he he'll just talk in like in the language of Scientology and all the commenters do that. And I'm like, part of me wants to un- know Scientology just so I know what language they're speaking. It's like they're speaking Portuguese. And I'm like, I really want to know just because I'm curious. And you're like, oh, this is how you sort of is go Is he the one hole. who started the independent Scientology? He, he is their number one enemy at this point. Marty was the second in command of Scientology for a long time. Uh, he was the uh, the tough guy, the, the the guy who was in in charge of making sure that uh, things went right. Mm. When he left, he left very quietly several years ago, and no one knew where he was. Uh, people on the internet thought that he had died of cancer. For years, we thought Marty is dead, and then suddenly he surfaced, and he started a web page, a single page where he put up some of his writings. And this is how I stumbled across him uh, when he was online. I found this page, and it was impossible to read. Um, because just technically, 
the the HTML was all screwed up. So you, he'd start an article and then it would just stop in mid sentence. And then I'd go into the the source code and see in the HTML file, it was all there. It just wasn't being displayed on the page. So I thought, I'd like to read what this guy says. So I'm just going to put this into a blog form for him without asking his permission. I just started a blog Mm. at WordPress, laid it all out for him, and emailed him and said, listen, uh, I don't know if you want to use this, but this is uh, an easy way to, to post online. And he had never, I mean, I was the devil as far as he was concerned. I was a horrible, horrible person. So he was a little taken back that I would do this for him. Um, And and then we worked together for a little while as I kind of walked him through how to use the the WordPress blog. And I would go in every day and kind of clean up the formatting after he's posted something. And then, you know, after about a month, he had it all down and and the training wheels were, were, were taken off and and I had no more access to his blog, which is as it should be. And from there, he has amassed this incredible following of Scientologists who still believe in L. Ron Hubbard, Mm. who still believe in the technology, but they think that the corporate management of Scientology, of the Church of Scientology, is corrupt. Specifically, the little dictator who sits at the top of the, the hierarchy, uh, David Miscavige, who is well over five feet tall. Don't get me wrong. He is. <laughs> That's my favorite thing is that he's Napoleon. He yeah, is he, Napoleon. He's, he's this tiny little guy with this horrible, horrible temper, apparently, who's just, you know, slapping people left and right. And but of course, he does this because he has thugs who work for him that will grab, say, if he, he was upset at Marty Rathbun. These goons would grab Marty by either arm, hold him steady, so uh, so Miscavige could come and punch him. Oh, jeez! <laughs> it's just it's- insanity. And there's this whole culture of violence that was um, revealed when Marty started talking out on this blog and then doing interviews with like the St. Pete Times, who were, you know, the the local newspaper for Scientology's. Um, uh, Vatican City, essentially. Their their mecca is in Clearwater, Florida. Mm. This tiny little town that they took over in the late 70s. So, uh, from the St. Pete Times, they're constantly doing all of these uh, remarkable art- articles exposing some of the fraud and abuse that, that that's uh, coming from the corporation. And a lot of that material is there because Marty and another higher up, Mike Rinder, decided that they would stand up and speak out about things that they witnessed and things that they themselves did. Marty himself has said in many interviews that, yeah, he hit people too. Because that was Scientology's defense when when all of these people came forward to say, I was hit by Miscavige, I saw Miscavige hit that person, hit that person. Scientology said to the, to the newspaper, now, hey, it wasn't Miscavige. Miscavige is a saint. All of these other people, you don't want to look at a violent person. Look at Marty Rathbun. He was hitting people left and right. And you, you have to stop and ask, well, why didn't Scientology stop that exactly. type of behavior? Why was he? It, it, they always catch themselves in a lie. Because, because if they just, it, Marty Rathbun writes this on his blog all the time. If you guys just shut up, you would be fine. Like you, you, would, you would eventually get exposed, but it would take 50 more years. Um, but they always, but like whenever you go, they always go to, a, like when Tommy Davis was like the spokesman, they would always ask a certain amount of questions. He'd deny it. And then they'd ask a question like, well, then why was he still in power forever if he was hitting everyone? And he goes, 
you're being offensive. You know, and then, then they just go, you're being <laughs> offensive like a little five-year-old brat. Like they just act like little petulant brats. And it's like so – it's such unbelievable child psychology. When somebody leaves, they act like a, a jealous ex. Oh, where way they more just than have that. to. Oh, yeah. They, they, you know, way more than that. Yeah. Speaking of L. Ron Hubbard, and I'm sure you probably get asked this since the movie came out, but did you guys see The Master? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, because obviously it's not exactly what happened, but it's supposed to be based on it. It seemed like he had genuine interest in helping and figuring out how to help people, but it seemed to go a different way. Whereas it started off maybe with some kind of goodness behind it i was gonna say this in relation to what you said before about people getting initial gains or wins or whatever they call it i kind of think of it as if like you know one of those like low carb diets it's one of those like low carb diets where it's like you don't eat bread for two months you're like oh my god i'm skinny but then that low carb diet means that you also believe there are thetans like it's like it's like you can't like it's like yeah you're gonna have initial wins because there are basic things you can do to help anyone's life like exercise or think clearly or be nice to people but then like if that comes along with other stuff and i think elron did have decent intentions sometimes but he was a psychopath i mean he's like a mad genius i think and he just like was so he like wanted i feel like he had good intentions but there also was involved with money and power and he was a psycho and a terrible sociopathic father so, but like it was all kind of mixed in there i'm not convinced he had good motives to begin with yeah and and this is one of the most fascinating parts of, uh, about hubbard who who really led a remarkable life yeah. i mean it yeah, was pretty really amazing yeah. the things that he accomplished but this is one of the most screwed up men I've ever yeah. encountered. <laughs> Serious issues. And he is supposed to be creating these superhuman beings that, uh, you know, when you go into Scientology, you are promised that you're going to become better than human. You're going to become a, a powerful um, Thetan. Well, we all, let me just go back to say, Scientology has different terms for almost everything. Mm. Essentially, you are not your human body. You are this spirit called a Thetan. And you've lived millions and millions of years before. You've lived millions of lifetimes, uh, and you'll live millions more in the future. Uh, We started out as these um, bodiless spirits who were all-powerful, like Q on Star Trek The Next Generation. I love Star Trek The Next Generation. Right. You can... Q can pop into a room and pop out. He can change clothes instantly. He can, you know, manage. He can control the universe, which is, Hubbard said that we can all do that. We were all born with the powers to to control matter, energy, space, and time. So we're all omnipotent, basically. Right. And trillions of years ago, when this all began, we were so bored that we started <laughs> to play games. And we gave ourselves these meat bodies as a limitation to help enjoy the game. And over the, the eons, we have forgotten that we are not meat bodies. We are thetans. So Scientology and Hubbard promised that he would help you restore these powers, and you would become once again not just a thetan, but an operating thetan who could control mest, matter, energy, space, and time. So I think Hubbard, at the beginning, was really in this for the money. And this was the first real money that he made. Prior to this, he was a Pulp Fiction writer, and he was a very prolific Pulp Fiction writer. But when you were writing Pulp Fiction stories in the 1940s and 30s and 40s when he wrote, you were making a penny a word. 
and no matter how many stories you churned out, you weren't getting rich at a penny a word. So he was, you know, usually broke. And during World War II, he served in the Navy, and there was a lot of... Um, he had a command of a vessel for a couple of months and, and had that taken away when he supposedly was, was attacking a, a Japanese sub off of the California coast, when actually he just spent a couple of days shelling uh, an iron ore uh, rock at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> so he was relieved of duty. And, and, and when the war ended, he went to the VA and complained about having these problems, you know, not being able to see well, or, or he, he couldn't concentrate on his writing. He wrote these letters to the VA, which are out there in the public now. So you can see Hubbard's state at the time. He's, he goes in saying that he needs a, a medical disability thing because he's having problems readjusting. He, his eyes are a little blurry, and, and so he's asking for money from them. And they come back and say something like, okay, we'll give you 47 bucks a month. And then he, he writes back saying, oh, you don't understand. No, I, I, I'm a writer, and it's very important for me to be able to see clearly to do my writing, and I need more money than this. So every time he would write back, he would talk about you know, how these problems were, were worse than they really assumed they were until he got it up to something like $117 a month. So he was begging for this money to stay alive. And Scientology will say, when he wrote Dianetics, he was a millionaire who devoted all of his, his money to doing all this lavish research. Well, no, he was, he was pretty much broke. Yeah. Uh, he had walked out on one wife, and he started shacking up with, with a, a, another woman who he met at a, 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 um, a satanic cult in Pasadena, which is oh, one really? of the most bizarre parts of his life. So uh, when he got into it, when he wrote Dianetics and it came out and was an immediate bestseller, this was the first real money that he had. Mm -hmm. And I think he was thrilled by that. Yeah. Plus, he got all this adulation, too. I mean, this was huge. This is a little sort of on what you said. Um, I, what I always love, like just in that sort of like whoa way, is the way that Scientology forges documents makes me laugh. In the, like it's like it's almost as if someone has a cursory knowledge of Photoshop and just goes. It's like it's almost like this person is here and they just literally just Photoshop badly is not here. Like and they're like here's the document. It's proof. And right. it's like we know you copied it. There's proof that you would just copy this. And they just go no no. And I'm like. It, what is so incredible to me about Scientology in that very basic way is they've brainwashed themselves so much and they're all about what is true for me is true forever. But they just – they know they're lying yet they can't release that grip it has on them anyway. And that is the most powerful thing I've ever seen. I mean that's like really wild and psychotic. From most of the docs I've seen and uh, videos uh, that I've watched uh, uh, you do online, it, it seems like that's their response no matter what it is, is just to deny it. That's it's in their doctrine, isn't it? Yeah, right. That's it. That's yeah. all they do. I mean, and especially those interviews when it, when uh, John Sweeney was uh, interviewing some of the celebrities about uh, OT three and Xenu, and uh, they just denied it. They just said, "What? We don't know anything about that. We we don't know what you're talking about." And not only that, but like the like the disconnection policy, which is so obviously true. They even when Tony Ortega posted on his blog the Tommy Davis recording, it's like we now literally have proof. And you're just still going to deny it's like, what do you think we think is going on? Do you think by denying it, we're going to go, oh, yeah, they're well, telling the truth. Well, it was obviously truth. doctored. 
I mean, someone <laughs> else recorded that. We didn't do it. Well, this is the thing. Scientology um, really believes this works. L. Ron Hubbard laid out a system of how you respond to critics, of how you handle any uh, pr- uh, publicity problems, and they can't deviate from that. This is what Hubbard said, and what Hubbard said was nonsense. For the yeah. most part, I, I mean, you mentioned one of one of the most important phrases in Scientology, which is, uh, "If what's true for you is true." That sounds deep, but it's as <laughs> empty as a as a statement could be. It is what it is. That's essentially the same statement, you know. Right. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. What's true for you is true. For God's sakes, you can be convinced that basically anything is true. Yeah. <laughs> You can you can lie in bed at night, close your eyes. You're in the dark. You can be convinced somebody is in the room with you, and and your heart will will pound faster. You'll you'll you know you have the sense that this is really happening, but there's nobody in the room. But it's true for you. And not only that, what what is so incredible about them is they have phrases like that. What's true for you is true, but it literally is the opposite of what they believe. Because if if right. if if you are a person in the middle of especially corporate Scientology, and and I go. Hey, David Miscavige, who's the head of it, you're a jerk because I think you're a jerk. That, and that's my truth. You will get put in a prison. So it's like the complete op- – the, the way they advertise, it's kind of psychotically brilliant because whatever is their main fault, they decide is their huge – like if they're like t- – they're terrible. They just have so many broken child labor laws. They just go, we're at the forefront of child labor laws. They just say the complete opposite. It's uh-huh. so funny It's if it weren't the right. saddest thing ever. Right. And, and that's the real – uh, trap that people fall into in the group because they really do start to think what's true for them is true. And if you question anything that Hubbard wrote, and Hubbard wrote so much, that, and it's all contradictory. He, he can say black is black in one uh, you know, publication and then black is white in another and black is red in a third one. And you can always pull out something that Hubbard said to prove black is red. See, it's right there. <laughs> right, What's right, true right. for you is true. But you, you essentially, and I, this is what I see from, from all the Scientologists I've talked with and everything that I've, I've researched over the years. The longer you're in it, the more your reality is stripped away and L. Ron Hubbard's reality is put in its place. So- that that statement, "What's true for you is true," actually reminds me of of one of my favorite Vonnegut books, Mother Night. There is a quote, one of my favorite quotes ever, is "Be careful who you pretend to be, because you are who you pretend to be." Right. So it's like the same thing, but kind of like, no, that's not a good thing. You know, you start believing that you're this, and that's person. one of the most fascinating things about Hubbard to me, because I think he got in for it, into it for the money. When uh, Dianetics started to fade away after the couple of years, and he was on the lam from the law, really, uh, he, he wrote a not a not a letter, but, uh, sent a telegram, I think, to uh-huh. one of his cohorts and said, "How's everything going on the religion angle? If we can get this, I know right. I can make it stick." Right. So, and, and in this uh, telegram, he's talking about the importance of you know the fact that they'll, they'll get the tax exemption. And there'll, there'll be some cover for them uh, legally by being a church. So it was the crassest uh, possible means to convert Dianetics into Scientology. Mm-hmm. But as the years and decades went by, I think Hubbard convinced himself 
that this nonsense works. Yeah, it, and yeah, that's it, it is amazing, it and is, that's yeah. that's one of the things that I think the master did well. Um, I, I, I think there's a lot of things that the master did well, and I think uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman was brilliant amazing, channeling amazing. Hubbard. I mean, it's not exactly Hubbard, but it's Hubbard, yeah. and um, you, you really get the sense that he knows he's full of of nonsense. But he likes it, and he likes being full of nonsense. And he, you know, everybody is saying he's a genius. He must be a genius, and let's keep the ball rolling. And by the by, the end of his life, Hubbard, I think, really believed all of this stuff. There's no other reason why he would be sitting there um, by himself with his e meter in his old age, auditing himself if he didn't think he was getting something right. from it. I feel like that is the deep. There's a lot of deep traps in Scientology, but in terms of Elrond starting to believe his own BS, it's one of those things where I think – I noticed this one time. Like one time um, I was dating someone and they kind of cheated on me and uh, they did a lot of bad stuff. And then I'm a comedian and so on stage, sometimes I would say their name on stage like in part of the joke. And it was really funny, but I do – but about a year later I realized – that was wrong. I shouldn't – even though what they, I felt they did was wrong, I felt like what I did was wrong. But it took me a whole other year after my realization to realize you should probably apologize. And that's such a small amount of shame to feel as opposed to hundreds of thousands of dollars and wasting your whole life and identity. And I feel like that's one of the problems is these people go so deep and they, they all these weird um, brainwashing techniques make them feel they're on inside something special. And to realize your whole life is a lie – you could almost never recover from that. And that's why, like, I feel like when Marty Rothbaum came back, it took him, what, three or four years to even say anything. And I think that's the terrible trap is, like, the shame you feel about when you realize, oh, I just believed complete horseshit and I cut out everyone and I was so wrong. Just saying I was wrong is hard on such a small level. And this is, like, their entire being. And that's – it's so intense. It's so right. unbelievably intense. Right. Your your entire life becomes wrapped up in Scientology when, when you're a longtime member – most of your family members will probably be Scientologists. Your friends will most likely be Scientologists. Maybe your co-workers. You might work at a company that's a wise company, which is World Institute of Scientology Enterprises. These are, are, are Scientologist-owned companies. Or Scienti- yeah, Scientology, individual Scientologists will, will pay 10% of, it, of their gross to uh, the Church of Scientology for the incredible administration tech that L. Ron Hubbard yeah. produced, which was, you know, nonsense. But they believe it. They be- believe this is the way you run an office, so Scientology deserves all this money. But your entire life becomes Scientology. Mm-hmm. And if you even think about leaving, you have to think about, okay, I have to give up everything. To give up my family, my friends, my income. What do I have left? I, I you know, I, I, I've been living a lie, and so a lot of people continue to live the lie, and just don't say anything yeah. about it. Yeah. Don't say even to their loved ones that they really don't believe anymore. It can take a long time for somebody to get up the guts to tell their wife or husband, "Listen, I got, I got problems." Because because if you do and they're not on board, they'll report you. Right. Like if, if you're not a hundred percent sure they're going to agree with you, you're screwed. Yeah. Well, and that's the difference to me, or one of the main differences between a religion and a cult. Religion, if you're if you're a Catholic or Christian or Jewish, you doesn't matter who you're friends with. You you have your religious beliefs, and they don't tell you not to be friends with the Christians. Cults tell you not to be friends with other people that aren't part of your cult. I don't think it's it's 
exactly that way in Scientology. They're not telling you don't be friends with anybody outside. Okay. You just find your entire world starts to circle around Scientology. But if one of the, your people outside or in your family says anything disparaging towards Scientology, right. see you later. then, then it's see you later. Yeah. Right. Then they'll want you to disconnect yeah. from them, which is their official policy. They'll, they'll say you've got to cut off any contact with this friend or loved one mm-hmm. or family member because they are preventing you from making progress spiritually. Up, so up you bridge. have to stop talking to them. What Scientology has done so brilliantly is market themselves a religion, which they're really not. You know, it's more just like a set of like tactics you can use to help yourself. And they add this on the last level, they add this, uh, this ridiculous Xenu stuff. And so, but what I find is like when I bring it up to pretty smart people like my age, who just don't really know much about Scientology. They go, well, it is a religion. So let them have their beliefs. And I go, wait, no, it's not. But what I do find really interesting there is a big difference, but if you really think about it, one thing I have a problem with modern religion, I'm an atheist or agnostic, whatever you want to, I don't care, but with Christianity or Catholicism, the way it's done in most modern, like, most modern representations of it, they're wrong. Like, you'd actually, you need a complete psychotic doctrine. What they're saying is you're going to hell if you don't do any of this stuff. So Scientology actually is more in line with, like, Roman Catholicism in a different way. It's like... If you really believe this, you actually should be that psychotic, and that's the danger. Like, mm. you, it kind of, if you're following it, you actually should 100% live it every second, which is what no one really does in America or really anywhere. But, I mean, that's, I think all religions on that level are cults, you know, but Scientology is just so vicious against it. It's anyone who says that's where it's like, you're not just a cult, you're Machiavellian. You're, Machiavellian. you're like so crazy. Like, yeah, or Leviathan or whatever it is. It's like so insane. There are a couple things in this page that I actually want to uh, talk about because they're, they're actually kind of funny when it comes to the name of Scientology. Read on. Funny enough, in 1901, Alan Upward coined Scientology as a disparaging term to indicate a blind, unthinking acceptance of scientific doctrine. That's fun. <laughs> that I like is, that. <laughs> I know. The publisher writes, I'm not aware of any evidence that Hubbard knew of this fairly obscure book. And then in 1934, philosopher Anastasius Norton Holes... Uh, sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. I'm sure you're dead now, though. Uh, published a book that used the term to mean science of science. It's also uncertain whether Hubbard was aware of this usage. So, But that first, that 1901 coining of it, it's basically what Hubbard said and, and you know, not deviate and... Right. Well, they're not blindly following science at all. No, they're, that's the they're, thing. It's not you know, science. They're blindly following the doc, his doctrine. Yeah. Right. It's the, like one guy invented science. One, guy, one guy's it's, like, no, this is what science is, and then you follow it. Well, like, no, this is of, science. Is, I mean, it's, that's kind of what he was doing almost. It's like, this is what it is. Um, there is no other thing. Well, I think that's one of the, 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 um, the problems that Hubbard had, because he, he didn't start off saying this is a religion. He said this is a modern science of mental health. There's no science to it. Yeah. None. No science whatsoever. And in, in other books, like The well, History of Man, no, he talks there about... There is science, science fiction. Right. Yes. So right. He, he started out writing science fiction, and, and so much science fiction is wrapped into Scientology. Even in his earliest days, there are lectures that Hubbard gave in the very early 50s where he's talking about... Uh, 
you know, the Markabians, this race from another galaxy that came here to enslave us. And, and we fought them off, I think, at least once. And, and there's another Markabian uh, invader fleet heading this way. So one of the goals of Scientology is we have to have everybody on the planet cleared, which is Scientology's term for getting you indoctrinated and on board the Scientology system. You, they want everybody on the world to become Scientologists so they'll be able to fight back this Markabian invasion fleet when it comes. But the fascinating thing about Scientology, and there's so many fascinating things, but most Scientologists aren't aware of any of this material. Right, right. Because it's revealed in little doses. And this is one of the things that separates uh, a religion from a cult. And at various times, I have labeled Scientology a cult. I tend not to do that anymore because I don't know if, it, if it's helpful or not. It certainly falls into all the pitfalls uh, of what Professor uh, Robert J. Lifton wrote as the criteria for a destructive uh, group. And one of them you mentioned earlier, the language, what Lipton called, or Lifton called the loaded language, this, this whole other... Uh, vocabulary that only members of the group understand. That's key to separating the member from the outside world. Because when you pick up a Scientology magazine or or even, I, I used to go to a Scientology dating website when I lived in Clearwater, Florida. Oh, wow. At, at that point, it was open up. It was like thetasingles.com or something like that. And, and I, I created a profile. And, and was just reading through the bios of what people were looking for. And it's the most insane rambling that means nothing to us, but it means everything, everything. to the Scientologists. Yeah. It's all this uh, Sino-speak, this jargon that we aren't supposed to understand. But it means everything to, to the people who are in. And that's one of the, the things that when you leave, it does take years to start talking and thinking like, a regular human being again. One, one, uh, I, maybe it was in a video that you interviewed Marty on, or I don't know what it was, but um, he was talking because he, he norm he speaks pretty like he doesn't use that much Scientology lingo, at least in the interviews I've seen. But he did say once, um, maybe it was in a, a video of like people attacking him, but he said we're having a calm cycle right now, which is a conversation, like a calm cycle right now. I was like, oh my god, like I just that was so jarring to me that he referred to it as a calm cycle because that's it's like. Right, it, we're having a comm cycle, and it's like it's like a whatever the process of a conversation is and how you respond to things. But I was like, oh my god, even that was so alienating to me. Just that one little phrase he said that, that he said it so nonchalantly was like, whoa, oh my. And god. And that's a simple thing. Yeah, and that's very yeah. simple. Yeah, but uh, I think you're right that he was probably talking to another Scientologist I think he was. who came to his house uh, with with cameras on their heads yes. and 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 <laughs> there for a, for a period of months and months and months in, in his tiny town in Texas. The Scientologists were sent there to be squirrel busters. Scientology uh, calls anyone who alters L. Ron Hubbard's writings, they call them a squirrel. And this is one of the highest crimes in Scientology. How dare you touch any... But he's not L. Ron, so it's just in, uh, time until someone else gets there. L. Ron Hubbard tech works all the time. If you deviate from this, you, you are just going to cause nothing but trouble. So squirrels are, are, are horrible people, and Scientology was trying to paint 
Marty as a squirrel to all the members who are still in who might know him or listen to him because they want they you know they they want people to stop thinking, stop looking, stop listening to what Marty might have to say because something might click. They they might read something about the fact that everyone is complaining about the prices being so damn high and and how every time you go into the org or you go to one of the Scientology events, they're pestering you and hassling you for more money for different projects. Don't they like lock the doors until yeah, they, they, they don't they even let you that. go out until you pay money. So it's like it's like a little prison party. It's yeah. so crazy. Right. And right and people will be there you know overnight begging to be let out. <laughs> it's insane. But when Marty's talking to a Scientologist at his doorstep, I, I think it's good for him to use the, sure. the jargon to them because you know that that's their connection. Um right. It's when you have to start to talking to people in the outside world that it becomes difficult to remember. You know, most of us don't have comm cycles. Um, but <laughs> see, this is uh, but this is the first course that most people take in Scientology. You know, for folks who aren't familiar with Scientology, it's essentially a, a series of self-help courses. Uh, you, you'll run into Scientologists generally on the street. They're doing a, a stress test with their little e-meter, this mechanical device where they, they have you hold two soup cans and there's a needle. It's like a, a rudimentary lie detector. And they'll ask you, well, what's causing you stress? Well, my boss. And the needle moves and they go, ah, 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 that's a problem. We can help you with that. We can help you with your relationships. We can help you with this. We, can, we have a course for whatever ails you. What they're doing in that, in that personality test or stress test, they're finding out what's bothering you. They call that finding your ruin. Mm. And once they find your ruin, they say, we can help you with that. Come into the Scientology Center and take this course. And the first course for most people is a a communication course where they teach you how to communicate in the Scientology way, how to talk to a Scientologist, how to listen to a Scientologist. And they'll talk to you how to control people and how to be controlled. And the comm cycle is is a, a part of that. And the comm cycle, you know, some of these, some of these concepts aren't by themselves troubling at all. It can really help you learn how to communicate. The the comm cycle I mean, it's uh, thera- idea it's therapy, is therapy, basically. Right, you're finding what your your current problems are, and yeah. In a comm cycle, you you want to say something to a person and have that person acknowledge that they heard what you said properly, and then respond back to you, and you would you know make sure that they know that. You understood them. So there's nothing wrong with the theory of a comm cycle. There's nothing wrong with a lot of these elementary courses in Scientology. But what's wrong is they they use those things that that can work and do work to drag you deeper and deeper and deeper into this organization and completely alter your reality. So uh, loaded language is one of the things that separates a religion from a cult. Having, having a, a beloved leader that is infallible, that's another one. Elrond is hilarious to look at just because he is he's – a, he's a bizarre-looking person in a lot of ways. But the pictures of him, because he is so bizarre-looking – and I don't mean to harp on someone's looks except he's in the public eye, so let's do it. He looks hilarious in every picture. And so the, it's like these angelic, like photoshopped paintings that he looks, it's like, it's almost a parody of what, it's, it's a self-parody. He looks like a used car salesman. <laughs> exactly. yeah. yeah. I see all of these people at these, uh, these Scientology events where they'll, they'll gather 
thousands of people at the Shrine Auditorium a few times a year to to have one of their big events where they announce some new thing that they have to sell to everybody. Superpower building. building, yeah. Right. Um, and and there will be a point where everybody stands up and and gives Ron a, a cheer. You know, hip hip hooray, hip hip hooray, hip hip hooray. And it's like, really? Look at that guy. Look at him. Uh, yeah. In 1995, long time ago, I was 17 or 16 in high school, uh, but I had an internship. And uh, during that internship, I had a lunch break, and, and I was trying to kill time. And someone came up to me and said, like, hey, we have a, do you want to take a personality test? It won't take too long. It's fun. And I'm like, hey, I got 30 minutes to kill. Sure, let's do it. And I had no idea about Scientology at the time. Zero. I, did, I, I don't think I even heard of it because in Miami, even though Miami's in Florida near Clearwater, but I, it just wasn't even on my radar. So I took this personality test and uh, there's no e-meter, but just the test. And then afterwards, I, I, I went to this room with this guy and that's where I saw Dianetics books all over the place. And he's like, well, so you see your personality test. It's like, oh, I see this and I see this and, you know, we have this and this and this. But lucky for me, uh, I knew that this was all, you know, kind of not Scientology, but it's like, oh, you're trying to get me to buy shit now. And I'm like, no, thanks. And I left. And then, uh, you know, a year later, once uh, for some reason Scientology came up, uh, then I realized, oh, shit, that's that's what that was. Well, you know, I had a well. And I'm a Scientologist. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I went to what is it? The Psychiatry Museum of Death. Is that what it's called? On yeah, sunset, so something like of death, that. Right? Yeah, industry so- of death, right? It's it, on Facebook. It's my cover photo because it's just the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. But I went in there, and I already knew. I went in there like, and I put my name as like Scott Peterson, the murderer, just because I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And I went and watched. I, they bring you through like four or five, six different rooms. And what I found so amazing is I went with a friend who equally is fascinated by Scientology. The first video they show you is the single funniest video that could ever be made. It's funnier than any comedy out. It is so crazy. And it's just like, it's, it is a parody. It's like a sketch in a comedy show. They use black and white and weird sounds to make you go, this is what's going on. And I'm watching it and literally crying from laughter, trying for them not to see me, but just crying from laughter. Just like, I can't believe this is what I'm watching. And then a guy behind me goes, who, who there were three people in the room. It was my friend, me, and this other guy. And the guy goes, wow, that's some pretty crazy stuff. And I just turn around and I go, you know this is like a Church of Scientology thing. And he goes, I had no idea. I thought this was like a real museum. And I was like, it's amazing. You're like, oh, I had no idea that people aren't aware of how crazy this you is. There are tons of people who have right. no clue. You don't think that third person was working there? trying? No, to, I okay. don't. I really don't. And, he, but it's, and that's why the internet and what you are doing is like so – it's the only way. And it's like, it's like I, I know so much about this and I'm so aware. But these people just literally like, oh, yeah, maybe psychiatry is bad. You know? that, <laughs> I went to that museum last year for the first time. And um, – I was walking through by myself, but then at, at some point, and, and it really is an amazing thing to see. Yes. They spent a lot of money on it. The production values are incredible, amazing. but it's filled with such over-the-top, hyperbolic nonsense. It, the problem with Scientology is they have lied about so many things. You, you can never believe that they're telling you the truth about anything. Mm-hmm. That's their basic problem. So is it a lot of shock and awe? It's like so much, Alan, Just to get you. There are pamphlets about how 
9/11 was caused by uh, oh, psychiatry. Really, it's the oh. it, it's the Holocaust. Oh, Jonestown. Well, they do have that. I did read about that whole thing where it's like the Nazis wouldn't have blah blah blah. And the, <laughs> it's like really, there's there's just it's it's just ridiculous. It's also one of those things where I mean I, I think this is talked about many times, but it's like they're always like, well, nothing is. It's like. You know, there's always they, – they talk about in their writings there's a subjectiveness to certain things and then yet they go, all psychiatry is bad. And it's like such a contradiction. Right. You're like, what is wrong with you? Like you are obviously know – and also he was trying to get approved by the Psychiatry Association and that's why he hates them. And that's right. it, right? Yeah. Right. I mean the psychiatrist, his basic problem was when he created Dianetics – the psychiatric community read it and said, well, this is nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> and so they, they gradually became the enemy yeah. and the problem behind all of mankind's troubles. Uh, uh, from the very dawn of time, the, the evil psychiatrists have been responsible for all of these horrible, horrible uh, things. Um, and the Scientologists believe it because so, L. Ron Hubbard told them so. And when you... As a critic, when you encounter Scientologists on the street and they're trying to get rid of you, handle you, they would say, they'll often say to me or another critic, you haven't even taken a course. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, I always try to ask them, how many psychiatric sessions have you gone to? I mean, how could you, you criticize psychiatry. You know that all these psychiatrists are are killers and yet you yourself killers. have never taken that. a course yeah. yeah you've you've never gone to see a shrink how do you know this right well because i have the data from l ron hubbard the data oh that's my favorite word that the data is my favorite thing in the entire world it's like right. what are you what do you think data is what do you like you're, you're it's one dude it's one dude who's just drunk and he's like this is data everything i say is the gospel but they can't see yeah. They can't see that there's any type of parallel between a, a attacking Scientology or attacking uh, psychiatry. If Hubbard says it's so, it's so. Um, I I do have one story to tell you that I think both of you will enjoy. But uh, before that, I just want to ask you because I I you know I I follow you, I follow Ortega, I follow a lot of people. What? weird stuff have they done to you with PIs? Because I know what they do to Rinder or Rinder. I know what they do to Rathbun. He's got some videos that I actually watch, especially one, and and I don't know if this is a story, not to interrupt, but uh, where uh, you were in a hotel and someone called to get a cab for you. Oh, yeah. That was my first trip to Clearwater. That freaked me out. It was was the most bizarre thing. Um, The first time I went to Clearwater, Florida, before I moved there, I had been looking into Scientology for a couple of years by then. Um, and w- I went there to cover this little transit board hearing. Uh, the, the critics of Scientology on the anniversary of Lisa McPherson's death had put signs on the side of the buses. They had paid for these ads saying, think for yourself, leave Scientology, things like that. And within a half an hour, all those buses were pulled off the road and all those signs were taken down. Uh, and so there was a, 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 a hearing about, well, was this you know, the right thing to do? We paid our money to have those ads there. So I went down there just to, do, to film that, that meeting. And uh, a couple of critics took me downtown to where the Scientology buildings are, and it was very creepy to have all of these people with cameras following me everywhere. And I went back to the hotel, and I was flying out the next day. Uh, and... I get a call from the front desk. 
And the guy at the front desk says, uh, uh, when, when are you leaving? Uh, um, tomorrow at noon. And they say, would you like us to call a cab for you? And I said, well, yeah, that would be nice. Thank you. And I hung up the phone, and I thought about it. And in all the times I'd been to the front desk, I'd all, only seen women. So I went down there to the front desk and said, do you have a guy who works here? No. And the women were a little freaked out by it. I got one of the gals at the front desk to talk on camera, but I didn't show her face on it because I didn't want her identified. But she explained, she wrote up a note that, uh, you know, if, this is what happened. And if somebody shows up at noon, um, you know, call the police, essentially. But I called the police um, after that, that, that little encounter and, and explained what was going on. And the police came the next day to escort me um, to the airport. Um, and we, we wanted to hang out until noon to see if somebody would actually show up to pick me up, but no one did. So, you know, the police just uh, drove me to the airport. And it was, it was a, a bizarre thing to have happen. Will you ever, I mean, I assume you must have thought about this, but I mean, anyone who goes after uh, the Church of Scientology publicly, um, which is really, to me, there, I don't think there's a Lord, but doing the Lord's work, you're like helping people who, you're helping people who are actively trying to get you not to help them because they don't know any better, but it really is beautiful. But but what I'm wondering is like, were you not just freaked out? Like, were you not like, oh, they're going to, because they do, they break into people's houses and move stuff around. They kill dogs. I mean, well, that's, but like, I've heard that and I believe it. Well, it took me a long time to get to that. Um, there were a couple of years when I was afraid to show my face. Um, at, at one point in, like, I think, 98, I knew critics were coming in from around the world to protest in L.A., and I was living here in L.A. at the time, and I didn't have the nerve to go down there and join them. But what I did have was a bunch of videotapes. This was before I started putting things on, on the web, this was 98 when there was very little video on the web at all. Um, but to back up a little bit, I, when I started looking into Scientology, I found out that there was a guy who lived not far away from me, maybe about 10 blocks away from me, who had left Scientology before. And Scientology came and raided his house and took his computer and all of his files. That's Dennis Ehrlich. And I remember reading this in the paper before I knew anything about Scientology. So I found Dennis lived near my house, and I met Dennis. I met him at this little Sunday meeting that a, a woman held uh, in Glendale. Um, she was one of the people behind the Cult Awareness Network, Priscilla Coates. Somehow I got hooked up with her, and she said, would you like to come to the, one of these meetings? And Dennis is always there, and so I, that's how I met him. So I, I knew the stuff that he had gone through and so many other people had gone through. When I'd go to his house, uh, he was in the middle of a court case with him. We couldn't talk in his house about Scientology uh, because he was convinced that they had the place bugged. We would have to go out to the car to, to, to mention anything at all about Scientology. He was that paranoid, and justifiably so, because they Definitely were after right. him. Because he, yeah. he was probably bugged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, they eventually, a couple of years later, settled with him. Um, so he, you know, he got out of it fine. But it, it it was very scary to me at that point. But from Priscilla Coast, I got a bunch of videotapes from from around the world, including the shrinking world of L. Ron Hubbard, which was this 
show done in the late 60s uh, uh, for British TV, a 20-minute film where it's one of the rare instances where Hubbard led an outside news crew interview him. And it was a devastating video because Hubbard is clearly, you know, lying through his teeth to this this guy asking his questions. So I, I had copies of these and I wanted the critics to see them, but I couldn't go down there myself and, and pick it with them. But I drove there and I'd made copies of all these things in a, in a bag and I said, here, these are for you, and hopped in the car and sped away. And then uh, like a year later, um, Bob Minton, who was this retired banker, international banker, uh, took over uh, the main group, main group that was helping people who were abused by cults at that time uh, online, FactNet. And he made an announcement on the news group Alt-Binaries, or Alt-Religion Scientology, saying, Stacy and I, Stacy Brooks and I, are, are now um, running uh, FactNet. And I emailed him and said, if there's anything I can do for you video-wise, I would be happy to help. And they emailed me back immediately and said, well, yeah, why don't you come out? We're, we're attending a, a cult conference uh, next month in Connecticut. Why don't you come out and we'll, we'll talk then? So he flew me out there, and as the plane was landing on the East Coast, I, I had the real sense, my life is changing. What have I gotten myself into? <laughs> mm-hmm. After that, no sweat at all. I mean, they, they have come after me. They have done things to me. And, and what the Scientologists do to me really doesn't bother me at all. Um, what I've witnessed them do to other people, including what they did to Bob Minton, that, that really enrages me. I've gotten off easy. I've had PIs follow me. They've had me arrested a couple of times yeah, on phony I've seen, charges. I've seen, yeah, you talk about that or the videos of it. Uh, yeah, but, you know, th- those things were, were pretty minor. They had a worldwide global campaign to stop Bob Minton because he was a guy who had money. He was me with money, essentially. He came into this because of freedom of speech things. Back in the mid-'90s, Scientology tried to remove an entire news group from the Internet. Oh, wow. Um, Alt-religion Scientology. And, and, and so he said, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? And he's, he started talking to former members and, and got more and more involved in it. And he eventually started financing all of these court cases where Scientology would be suing uh, a critic, and he would say, okay, I'm going to get you an attorney. So they had a chance to fight back. The Scientology uses the court system. L. Ron Hubbard said, you know, don't just win. The, the court system can be used to destroy, yeah, destroy, ruin them utterly. Yeah. And uh, that's what they do. Uh, and that's what they did to Bob. They had him in constant depositions, prying into every aspect of his life, of his finances. They, they, everywhere he went in the world, um, like he took his wife and kids to an island, I, I think maybe it was in Bermuda, and they showed up at the island to the resort where they were staying, and already there were uh, flyers about him all over the resort, all over the beach, beware Bob Minton, this, that, and the other thing. They, they would follow his kids to school. You know, that's the tip of the iceberg of what they did to the yeah. guy. Trying to either get him uh, to shut up 
or you know drive him to suicide. And right. they came very, very close to driving him to suicide. I was working with him in New Hampshire after he and Stacy after FactNet, they they opened this organization in Clearwater, Florida in, in 2000 called the Lisa McPherson Trust, which was named after Lisa McPherson, a woman who was a longtime Scientologist. She was in um, for, I think, 15 years, had moved from Texas to Clearwater and was working at a Scientologist-run company. Um, Benetta Slaughter was the woman Scientologist who ran this company she worked for. Well, Lisa had a psychotic breakdown and was involved in a little minor car accident, a little fender bender. And when the police arrived at the scene, um, Lisa had stripped all of her clothes off as walking down the street naked. And this paramedic came up to her and said, why are you doing this? And Lisa told her, I need help. I, I, I need somebody to listen to me because I need help. So they took her a few blocks away to the Morton Plant Hospital, local hospital, a couple blocks away from the Scientology Center. And they admitted her uh, to the psychiatric program. Within an hour, 10 Scientologists, including her boss, Benetta Slaughter, arrived at the hospital and talked her into signing herself out against the, the doctor's wishes. The Scientologist told the doctor, well, we'll take care of her, don't worry. Well, we'll make sure she's okay. They took her back to the Fort Harrison Hotel, which is the Scientology lavish historic hotel in the town that they bought under a phony name when they snuck into town in the late 70s. Um, and they refurbished and it became their center. So they took Lisa back there and locked her up in a room and they put her on what they call the introspection rundown or baby watch. This is, this is how Hubbard detailed how anyone who's having a psychotic break should be handled. You lock them away. You don't talk to them. Uh, they should be quiet. Uh, so if they talk to you, don't respond. Um, so for 17 days, she was in there, and every day the, the, the people watching over her would be writing this detailed logs about what happened on that day, how they tried forcing uh, medication down her throat through a turkey baster, uh, how she was... Um, smearing her feces on the wall, barking, saying that she was L. Ron Hubbard. Clearly, every day she was degenerating, and nothing was being done for her. Well, on the 17th day, she was in such bad shape that they bundled her up into a van and drove her to the hospital. But they didn't go to Morton Plant Hospital, which was just a couple blocks away. They passed five different hospitals to get to one in another town, where there was a Scientology doctor on call. And by the time they arrived at that hospital, Lisa had died. Um, and, and this is, I mean, this is just a shameful, shameful story about the way she was abused. Eventually it was uncovered after about a, a year after her death. Je Jeff Jacobson, who is another critic of Scientology, who came to work with us at the Lisa McPherson Trust, really nice guy, he saw this little uh, entry in the police blotter about somebody dying at 33 North Fort Harrison. I, I think that's the address. That, that could have been the Lisa McPherson address, uh, the, the LMT uh, office. Uh, so whatever address it was uh, for the Fort Harrison, Jeff recognized. And he mentioned on, on, on the Internet 
Somebody died at the Fort Harrison, and they started looking into it, and it turned out that this was the story of Lisa. Anyway, that was in 95 when she died. In 2000, uh, Bob and Stacy opened up the Lisa McPherson Trust in her, in her memory with uh, the blessing of her, her remaining family. Um, and we decided to set up sh- shop right next door to Scientology Center, right next door to their Office of Special Affairs, which is their Dirty Tricks Department. Mike Render, who we've mentioned before, Mike Render was the head of the Office of Special Affairs at the time. They did all the covert uh, surveillance. They did all the, uh, well, th- there's two types of surveillance that do, covert and overt. Covert, they're, they're, they're trying to dig up everything they can about you. But the overt uh, surveillance, the noisy investigations, they're called, they want you to know they're looking into you. They want to intimidate you. Yeah, they're bullying so you. They're, yeah. Right. So they're sending these PIs over to all of your families and friends and, and, and asking them all these horrible leading questions. Did you hear anything about uh, Bob being involved in so-and-so? or what? So we decided, okay, we're going to show we're not afraid of you. We're going right next door. Huh. And that was very fun. It was very exhilarating. It was probably a very, very stupid idea. <laughs> because... Well, that's something that they would do. So it's, it's like, oh, uh, you're against us. We'll set up shop next to you. So it's kind of fun to, to kind of turn the tables on them. For the long-term existence of the organization, it was bad because we, we got so, many, uh, so much pressure from Scientology legally okay. with all these subpoenas and all these court cases that within a couple of years, we, Bob had to shut it down. Um, but strategically, it was a fascinating thing to go through because the the city of Clearwater had fought Scientology for about 15 years before we got there. And shortly before we arrived, they got a new city manager named Mike Roberto who decided, I'm going to make peace with Scientology because they're here. We're not getting rid of them. So we want to get them off the front pages. So when we showed up in the town, suddenly Scientology is on the back pages, uh, on the front pages again, and the city was not at all happy about that. Mm-hmm. But we generated a lot of news stories just by the way Scientology was treating us. Um, and, and so it was a fascinating thing for me to live through, uh, and, and we tried to help as many people as we could. Um, now, was anyone ever Lisa? What was it ruled? Was any did anybody ever pay for it? Did, did originally, anybody go to jail? Yeah. yeah. Originally, they were criminally charged with with homicide. Okay, that's right. And this was the first time any church in the U.S. had ever faced criminal charges like this. They fought that so hard, and eventually they managed to uh, ruin the case utterly. Okay. They they. The uh, medical examiner, a woman named Joan Wood, had appeared on Inside Edition. Did she? She, she changed her story or something like right. that. Right. Okay. Go on. She Go. had. She had initially said that the, there was. Uh, I forget what the, the the exact phrasing of it was, but it, it was. Uh, it was ruled homicide originally. She was uh, dehydrated. She lost forty pounds, mm-hmm. and it's because she was trapped there that that uh, she had died. So Scientology was responsible. Well, Scientology did everything they could to get her to change her opinion. And last year when I interviewed Marty Rathbun, he detailed some of the things that Scientology did 
to convince her to change her mind. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of them were uh, things like they found out who her, her favorite experts were, who she really relied on uh, for a certain ruling. Like in this case, it was dehydration. So they went to somebody that she really respected. They flew out to New York, found the guy, they brought along, you know, they hired these top OJ people like Cyril Wecht, and I forget the name of the other, Baden, Baden and Wecht were the two guys who testified for, for OJ. So they segued right from the OJ trial into Scientology. Huh. So they went to find this, this expert that Joan Wood appreciated in New York, and they, you know, sweet-talked him and gave him as much money as possible to get him to rule in their favor so that they could, you know, share those results with Joan Wood. See, this guy, this guy you respect, he doesn't think you made the right call. And in the meantime, they, they were cozying, Scientology's attorneys were cozying up with her private attorney. They were giving him tickets to the Super Bowl. They gave him oh, wow. cufflinks. They gave him all Jeez. these things. So he would be kind of, according to Marty Rathbun, this is the Scientology take on it, um, Joan Wood's attorney was working behind the scenes with Scientology to, to convince Joan Woods, it would be a good idea for you to just change your opinion. And, and Marty says that they, they signed a secret agreement mm. with her. So she said, okay, I will change my opinion, but you have to swear not to sue me. Uh, and and she changed the opinion, and at that point, the state of Florida dropped their case. They said, "But there's no way we can go on now." And Marty was the he was the second in command at the time, right? So this is coming from him, right? He was in charge of all the legal matters. At That's that why point. he's the number one enemy because he literally knows everything that happened. Yeah, it, he he knows. He even wrote a book recently where he was explaining why Tom Cruise got into it and how he got so sucked in and everything. So he literally knows everything that happened. But what what's so tough? I think Tony Ortega talks about this a lot. He's like, if you were ever in Scientology, there's and you're out, and you don't like the church or the corporate part, you still probably like the methods, and so it's hard to completely ever... The thing is, Scientology, if you want to believe the methods, that's who am I to say that it's wrong? But it's hard for anyone to listen to anyone who still believes in the principles and take them seriously, I think, completely. And that's like a huge problem because they keep everything so secret. So the people who are speaking out, they have all this weird stuff in their files that they just use and just attack them with it. And then it's like, who am I going to believe? You know, it's so hard to believe someone. You're like, no, just admit it's all ridiculous. But you can't. It's like hard. That actually brings up a good point that I want to get into. But uh, real quick, did Lisa's family and Scientology come to some sort of confidential settlement ever? They did. They okay. they finally. So we don't know what we don't know what no. they got, but there was some. There was sort of, there was a settlement, which really isn't. You know, I mean, someone should have paid, gone to jail. Some, right. Something oh. should have happened. Right. But I was just curious if there was. Uh, Ultimately, that was what was going to happen. Uh, there have been yeah. a lot of cases. This one was probably the most painful. But every time Scientology's in court. We have a tendency to think this is it. This yep. is the one where they're going to get Scientology, yeah. and then they never do. Well, I mean, that's just a blatant. <laughs> so, aside from dehydration, it's a blatant case of torture, basically. Right. So, so while the, you know there was no trial, the whole world knows what happened to Lisa McPherson. That was like yeah. a huge turning point. I feel like right, like right. that case was like everything almost. Right. 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 Everything was riding on that, especially when uh, the attorney who was suing in the civil case. Decided to add David Miscavige to the case. Didn't that that was him? yeah that yep. that freaked out David Miscavige to such a yeah. degree that it was the the most important thing 
for for Scientology to do to stop this and derail this trial. At some point, I want to ask you your opinion on the psychology of that guy, because to me, he is the most psychotic person in the entire world. And so I just want to know. We'll definitely get into it because that that actually goes along with uh, something I want to talk about a little later uh, when it comes to all their commercials and how they're trying to grab people in and then the the craziness of it all. But um, to uh, say one more point on on what they do when it comes to lawsuits and stuff. I mean, there was the, the Cult Action Network, or is that what it was called? Right, can the, can the cult awareness network? Yeah, cult awareness network that they sued so much that they ended up owning it and turning it to their whims, which right. is just the ultimate. I mean, that's the thing you can show people. It's like this is what Scientology does. They will fight you and sue you until they own you. My favorite thing in the world is once in a while, if I smoke some pot, I will go to whoispaulhaggis.net or whoismartyrathbun.net, which is all these websites they've got. Which, which is are... all the time because you smoke a lot of pot. <laughs> well, I'll go and I'll just be like, what is insanity? You know, and I'll just look at it and it's so beautifully insane. Like, it's mm. like literally the, incredible. These are sites that Scientology put together to attack people who are speaking yes. out about, about yeah. Scientology. And they're so poorly written and poorly put together, and it's like clearly someone who just learned what the internet was. It's like, well, we got to get this out. They don't understand what it is, and they're just attacking people, and the videos they make are so crazy, and they have the weird recreations that are hilarious. They and- are so over the top that anyone who is not involved in this stuff, just goes, this is nuts. Like Freedom Magazine. But the people, right, the Freedom is a magazine that Scientology publishes to expose uh, all the injustices in the world that are really against <laughs> Scientology. So they'll, they'll do these lavish issues about Marty Rathbun or Anderson Cooper did a, a weeks-long series of, of stories on Scientology called A History of Violence, I believe. Yes, yes. Uh, and... Uh, it was all about Miscavige being violent. So they, they spent, Scientology spent a fortune creating this mag- glossy magazine attacking Anderson Cooper, not, oh, not responding really to the criticism, but just saying, oh my God, this guy's a horrible reporter and, and here's the most horrific things you should know about Anderson Cooper. Or the local newspaper, or um, you mentioned John Sweeney, the BBC reporter who did uh, a great, two great shows now on the, but the, uh, you know, I'm hoping it someday that they will make a, a special freedom issue about me. No, I feel like you're you're in the running. And it I'm bo- surprised. Is there not a website disparaging you? I'm surprised there isn't. No, they they put up um, a, a page about me in the past when I first uh-huh. started. After I first showed my face at one of these protests, filming the protest, the the next day, two Scientologists showed up at my house to protest me. Uh, the they had these signs saying "Beware your neighbor, Mark Bunker." Is not oh, all yeah, great though, because that that guy, it's that it's that. There's that one guy who's so crazy who's like on the street pretending not to have been at your house the day before, <laughs> right. and he's like, he's so you're embarrassing him so much, and he's walking away at the end of the video, and it's like so hilarious, right. but terribly sad. Maybe. It is, and 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 that fellow you're talking about is Dan Mernon, who who came to my house, and I bumped into him several times in the '90s. And he and some of these other Scientologists became like beloved uh, next door neighbors in, 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 in like a, you know, like Kramer in a sitcom. It's like, okay, there's Dan again. What, what crazy thing is Dan going to say now? Their thing is getting under people's skin, just like they did with with John Sweeney uh, in that first one where he started yelling at them. And then he did another doc explaining that. And it's all great, though. Uh, maybe they know they can't get under your skin. 
Well, that's part of it. I think, and then he, you also videotape most of the things that happen right. to you, so it's you have all this like, well, this is what's happening. I think you that's. I think that's really the 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 reason they don't go after me more because if some Scientologist is curious enough to Google me and they see these videos that show Scientologists acting insane, <laughs> that might have an impact on them. Yeah. I think that's why they, they really don't, don't go after me. They'd that rather much. them not Google you. They did, however, create a page for me again when I announced that I'd help Marty set up his blog. Okay. That was enough for them to say, aha. Because they, they could smear Marty yeah. that way too, and me. They could see, and look, yeah. Marty says he loves L. Ron Hubbard, but he's taking help from this critic. You know, gotcha. I can I can I ask a question just based yeah, on that. You can do whatever you want. So I, this is this has been amazing. Um, because I literally read about it pretty much every day. So I what I want to know about Miscavige. So David Miscavige is, I think, although L. Ron, I think is the, was the the problem. I really feel like Miscavige is a worse person if you can judge things that way. Like he's the one. They could have been less horrific, but he is just the most sociopathic, psychotic person. Now, what I've read from him, or what like Rinder and Rathbun have said, is that he reads everything about him. But everything, like if you Google David Miscavige, there's one. There's one website, like the third or fourth down on Google, that'll be like, this is his website in uh, on the Scientology page. But everything else is, this guy is a psychotic person. And I guess what I want to know is, what have you thought about the psychology of this man? Because he knows that what, he knows what he's doing. I know that he can get so lost in everything, but he knows the child labor stuff. He knows about the prisons. He knows the terrible abuse he's doing. What is he thinking is going on? And uh, real quick, just to preface this in case people don't know, because I actually read the sentence. So this goes along with what you're saying. And it says here that the RTC's chairman is David Miscavige, uh, who is not the titular head of the Church of Scientology, but believed to be the most powerful person in the Scientology movement. So while you answer Jake's question, who is the actual head as well? He of, is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He is. So he is. is this – so is there another person who is supposedly the head? No. Because – They have – So this is this is a little It's off. what they say. So he is, he's okay. not culpable. Right. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. Supposedly, yeah. there's okay. a, a, a a board that sits above him and all, but but no. Okay, I got you. Yeah. I mean, this is all this is all uh, nonsense. He calls himself the Pope. He calls himself the Pope of Scientology, doesn't right. he? Yeah. Um, I, I've never met the guy. Oh yeah, I don't think so. so <laughs> I, you know, I can't talk firsthand. Um, but uh, from everything that I've read about him and all the people who uh, I know who do know him, the guy has some serious issues. And this is the this is one of the most fascinating things about Scientology that that the Scientologists who are taking these courses, trying to become the best human being they possibly can, with the guy who created it, L. Ron Hubbard, and the guy who's currently running it, David Miscavige, are f- the farthest thing away from a superior human being that you could possibly find. How does this not compute that here you've got David Miscavige, who is this petty little tyrant. There's a, there's a book that just came out that I haven't read yet, but I hope that, that, that should give us a lot of insight into Miscavige. It was written by his niece, Jenna Miscavige Hill. Oh, wow. Uh, it just came out a few weeks ago. Oh, okay. um, and she's telling personal stories about growing up with this guy. I mean, her father is, is, is the guy's brother, almost mm. a... Almost an identical brother. His, uh, he, uh, Ronnie Miscavige looks and sounds so much like him. Now, were they both in Scientology as well? His brother and his, his brother, brother and his and David Miscavige's father too. Okay, the brother 
uh, Ronnie and his wife, they left a few years ago. Mm. Just in the past few months, David Miscavige's father left. Who got oh, wow. him into Scientology. But he like beats his father, right? Didn't he like hit his father and like? Well, well, it just it also says a lot, even not with with no proof whatsoever. When your brother and your father leave the organization that you're the head of, says right. something. And you know, it's so great that Jenna is speaking out. And the first time she did was, um, I think, a year ago. There was a story about disconnection, and Tommy Davis, who was at that point the the PR person for Scientology. I had gone on TV and said there is no disconnection in Scientology. That is utter nonsense. Hmm. So Jenna Miscavige-Hill wrote a, 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 an open letter saying not only is there disconnection in Scientology, but it has broken up the family of the head of Scientology, uh-huh. David Miscavige. We've been forced to disconnect, you know? Hmm. So that is, that is just a powerful you know, piece of information that Scientology will lie about virtually everything. Well, it's it's so if every time someone leaves, like uh, Jason Begay or or Paul Haggis or anyone, they all say the same exact things. You uh, could line them up in different rooms; they'd say the exact if they'd same. They say things, the same. Yeah. They have the same yeah. story, and yet it's it's just so odd because no one believes them anymore, except for Scientologists. You know, everything they deny, it's like. We don't believe you. Why don't you just stop? But when doing when it? you talk about Freedom Magazine and and these hyperbolic websites that they put up, the people that that's really targeted at are the hardcore Scientologists who are still in, mm-hmm. and they will believe the over the top rhetoric. Yeah, they will until it comes home to hit them. Until they're faced with disconnection. Until their lives are ruined. Uh, then they'll start to to wake up and go. Hey, wait a minute! Like the what you were saying before in terms of the the Scientology ads and everything, and I was reading about this on the blogs and everything. Just about you would think the Scientology is doing that to get new members, right? The Scientology ad during the Super Bowl. You're saying they're doing it to keep it, keep them exactly, okay. and that that's all they're doing, right? At least that's what the they're just doing it to keep those donors from mm-hmm. giving millions of dollars, and right? The, the, this is uh, this is Scientology's biggest problem. They can't get new members. If you're going to buy a new toaster, you're going to go online and 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 do a Google search. So if if somebody bumps into Scientology on the street now, at a stress test table, and they go home and type in Scientology, they're never going to show up again at the building. So they have to hold on to the members that they have as tightly as possible and control them as much as possible. And it's hard to imagine, but Scientologists are are trained not to listen to outsiders, not to read the news stories about Scientology, not to uh, not to even look for information. They, they are. Uh, there's some videos. I think they might be your videos, but um, it was a red carpet thing with uh, Ethan Supley. Oh my goodness! I wrote. I wrote down. I wanted to talk about that. Well, too. just because it's yeah. like these are very it wealthy was, it was, people. It is your right. video, right? right? It was outside the uh, Christie Alley organic. Right, uh, but Ethan Supley's yeah. like, and I know that um, Jason Lee is is Scientologist, but it's like one of those things where it's like, dude, you're a very well paid, smart person. You're around very intelligent, creative, free thinking people. And he's even saying like, well, not everything on the internet is true. And it's like, no that one's saying response. that it is, man. Yeah, it, it, well, that 
it, I guess it was just the look in his eyes when you were talking. It's like nothing so was sad nothing me. was going in. Well, yes, it, it, nothing is supposed to go in. Built into Scientology yeah. are all these thought-stopping techniques. This is and theta in in their minds. And theta is negative information that it could be harmful to you. Mm-hmm. You don't want to know and theta. And theta is lies, false. Uh, so you shut your mind off when you hear something like this because you don't want to think this. You don't want to to look into it because it's going only going to cause you trouble. Here's what you know. Scientology is working for you. You go into your auditing sessions and you uh, talk about your past experiences. You have a good cry about something uh, tragic that happened in your past life. You feel better. This is This is the main... Thing that Scientologists do. Mm-hmm. This is what really is the draw and what keeps them in. They love this process called auditing, where you're sitting alone with a counselor and the e-meter, and you're looking for these incidents from your past that have troubled you. They call these things engrams. Hubbard wrote uh, in Dianetics, uh, I think it's you know important that we go through a, a little bit of this background, um, in Dianetics, Hubbard said that we have two halves. The mind has two halves. Rather than conscious and subconscious, he called them analytical and reactive. So your analytical mind is awake and alert, and it works like a perfect computer. You know, in your normal condition and awake, you, your senses are recording everything about you, everything you see, everything you smell, everything you hear, and those are. Uh, are all being analyzed flawlessly. So you have no problem with that. But when you're unconscious or in pain, suffering some sort of accident or grief, then your analytical, your, your reactive mind rather takes over. And it's recording all of these things, but it's not making sense of it. So years later, something can reignite these engrams in your mind mm. and cause you to, to act irrationally. Say your, your father beat you when you were five and your dad smoked cigars and 40 years later you're walking down the street and you pass somebody smoking a cigar and you feel panicked. That's an engram. Mm-hmm. Scientology is going to take you into a session and they're going to say, uh, you know, what's been troubling you? Well, I, I passed this guy with a cigar and I freaked out. And they're going to try to find out, I mean, this is in the broadest uh, sense, they're going to find out why you behave this way until they find this, what they call the original incident in the chain. And they, they kind of break that incident, make you go, oh, that's why, okay, I, now that's not going to bother you anymore. So they've cleared that engram from your mind. You can move forward without being bothered by that incident again. And the first stage in your auditing uh, process in Dianetics is to reach the state of clear when you've removed all of these engrams from your mind so you can be a superior person and think rationally and behave rationally. Then once you reach that point in Scientology, there's there's this whole series of courses that they call the Bridge to Total Freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, each course reveals a little bit more and each course starts costing much more. So your first course, the communication course, might be $25, but you'll wind up paying 
thousands of dollars for later courses and you have to pay for these auditing sessions and you buy them in like 10 sessions for you know $10,000 with something like that um it, it can cost a lot of money by the time you reach the upper levels you've spent you know over $360,000 to find out that an evil overlord <laughs> named Zenu 75 million years ago to solve the overpopulation problem in this sector of the galaxy, stuff you into a volcano and blew you up with a hydrogen bomb far more powerful than those we had today. And that's your real problem. They don't mention any of that stuff about Xenu when you first start in. And when you reach that state of clear in Dianetics, that's when they tell you, all right, now you're, now you really are in trouble. You need to, to work to become an operating Thetan and uh, and sort all this stuff out. One of the ironies of what you were just saying is that they're so anti-psychs, and what do you think psychology sessions are? What do you think therapy sessions are with psychiatrists yeah, or psychologists? The it's the same session, thing. That's no. the same thing you would do like in a marriage counseling. Right. You sit, you talk to your wife, she says something, you make, you, you make it so that you know what she's saying back and forth, back and forth. Scientologists would say, oh no, don't you dare <laughs> compare it to uh, you know, psychiatrists, mm. psychiatry. My God. It's essentially the same thing. But the difference in Scientology is you know, they're leading you to some really bizarre places. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're basically, yeah, right. It, it's not necessarily, okay, you're going to, to uncover something from your past that you really should deal with. You know, they want you to look into past lives and deal with issues from from lifetimes before. And are these really real memories or are these things that, you know, you're imagining? To them, it's real. It's completely real. But are we, you know, we're stripping away people's sense of reality in Scientology. And it's being replaced with all of these things that Hubbard is leading you to. Hubbard says, yeah, you lived in millions of different lifetimes on all these different planets. You've had all these experiences. So you want to believe that. So you're thinking, into, okay, well, yeah. This concludes part one of Scientology. Thank you so much for listening to part one, and part two is just as informative. Part two should be available very shortly, if not already. If you have any questions or comments, direct them to badslothlove at AOL.com. That's badslothlove at AOL.com.